With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Buzz Podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined this week by Brother Downey. Trev, no Liverpool game for us to concern ourselves with this week. So we thought we'd have a wee chat about JFK and movies in the 90s in general. I mean... Is there a more fun topic and is there anything that's more the antithesis of talking about football and the Reds in particular at the moment than that particular notion? So I'm mad to get into this. Uh, I think it's probably my fault because I just recently watched JFK and suggested this to you when you threw out a couple of uh, queries as to whether I'd be interested in the show. And obviously I am massively interested in it. And um, this is me touting myself as a regular panelist if you uh, if you are going forward with it. But yeah, JFK... Watching it again recently reminded me of how much of an impact it kind of had on me at the time, not in the way you might think. And of course, uh, we have to acknowledge the the age gap here between ourselves. So for the record, when I saw this worst, I w- it was 91, I think. Yeah. And realistically speaking. Much as a pain to me to admit it, that was the year I left secondary school and went into first year English in TCD. So I was on my way to being um, all sorts of obsessed with film and filmmaking uh, and about 10 year, a 10 year sort of obsession with that and making films and acting in films and all that kind of stuff. There wasn't a week that wouldn't go by that I didn't have Total Film or Empire Magazine as well as all the music stuff, NME and, and Melody Maker, but obviously as well, the film magazines in particular, Empire, uh, my mate Chris, who you'll all know from Twitter and the Empire podcast, uh, used to write for them back then before becoming editor at one point. Um, and then occasionally you might get a sight and sound where you get a very lofty and uh, uh, erudite article about Oliver Stone or some other auteur. So, yeah, massively, massively impacted by this film when it came out and way before. I got into anything resembling conspiracy theory. This was one of my formative conspiracy theories, unbeknownst to myself, almost, Dave. Yeah, I mean, this is the the, the JFK story is obviously riddled with multiple cons- conspiracy theories, um, both through his life and then obviously in, in his death. Uh, I, I was nine when this film came out, but my my parents were very much when the big new film comes out, we'll we'll go to Extravision and we'll get it. And you're you're going to be able to watch it because there's nothing in this film bar some language that's unacceptable. You know, so when when films like this came out, as soon as they were out on on VHS, as it was at the time, uh, I, I did get to see them. And this is a film I've watched many times over because this you mentioned you just mentioned music as well this era the early 90s and throughout the 90s is is an incredible era for both film and for music off the back of a a questionable period in (laughs) the 80s yeah and this is kind of this is one of the real standout movies for me of the decade and like you said it is directed by oliver stone who 
is of himself a, a very interesting character that a lot has been written about and said and made up and conspiratorized and, and whatever else. It, it stars Kevin Costner, who I want to get into, but he is the, the lead. You've got Kevin Bacon, Tommy Lee Jones, Laurie Metcalf, Gary Oldman. I mean, this is this is a murderer's row of of great on-screen performers. Mm, and not even to mention old man Pesci, fucking Walter Matthau and his pal Jack Lemon pop up. Sissy SpaceX in it as as um, as a uh, uh, Mrs. Garrison, uh, uh, Kev's wife in the film. It's just endless. It, it, as you say, it's just an endless array of the very best because everyone wanted to work for Stone. Obviously, mm. Stone's Stone's record at this stage is. His filmography is absolutely absurd. I mean, it's just bananas. You can't even get your head around it. Uh, He wrote Midnight Express, which is quite the movie if you haven't seen it. But then, you know, and also uh, involved in the writing of of Scarface. But then, you know, you're looking at Salvador, Platoon, Wall Street, Born the Fourth of July, The Doors. And that's all before JFK. Yeah. So, I mean, he's on an unbelievable run of hit after hit after hit. And the same can be said for Costner rolling into this movie, The Untouchables in 87, Bull Durham in 88, Field of Dreams in 89, Dances with Wolves in 90, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and this, undoubtedly the two big movies of the year, in 91. And it obviously continued on with, with The Bodyguard the following year, which he also shot this year. But, like, that is... These two come in as the, the hottest director going... And the biggest actor going at this point with this story that people have been waiting over 20 years, over, well, nearly 30 years for somebody to really dig in and tell this story in a manner in which deserves to be told. And we get this film with this unbelievable cast. And like you said, it was people queuing up to work with Stone. It was people who had been around and, and many of them had known JFK personally had had relationships because, you know, while JFK was also the president, he also was quite a Hollywood personality and had some involvement with some Hollywood people. So these were people in the form of, you know, Jack Lemmon, Donald Sutherland, who knew him personally and wanted to be involved in telling this story. Yeah, I mean, and and the, the reason why people were so attracted to this, you mentioned it, after the Warren Commission, there's only... There's only one person who's taken a case, um, and that is Jim Garrison, who's the central character played by, by Costner here. He's the only person. He took a case against Clay Shaw in a wider attempt to sort of implicate the CIA. Uh, and it failed, famously. And spoiler alert, but, you know, sorry, lads, history. I mean, you know, it's a bit like saying Jesus dies at the end. You know, I presume people know it failed. Um, but. It resonated for years afterwards. I mean, there are so many books. It's a whole cottage industry in and of itself is the whole JFK conspiracy theory area. And what people don't realize, I I read an article there yesterday just because I knew I was going to be doing this. I read an article. I I got about halfway through it, Dave, uh, where it was some lad basically speaking in a snooty way all these years afterwards about, you know, conspiracy theories and uh, JFK as a movie and and Stone's... um, ideas that he's putting forward in it and people forget that you know 
the Warren Commission's full of holes, just full of holes. There's no two ways about that. And he was talking about it in this kind of way, which is I think the further you get away from these kind of things, the easier it is for people to just pass it off and dismiss it. But Garrison's an intelligent guy. Maybe he did get a little bit excited with himself. He couldn't prove an awful lot of the stuff he was saying. And in the film, uh, Stone uses a lot of creative license. So there's a scene where Jack Ruby places a bullet on the stretcher um, where Kennedy's getting the, the autopsy done. And obviously, that's fanciful and it's, it's imagined, but it, it's to try and tie the story together for people. But I think it's a rare person who still believes that um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, of such an interesting man and worth reading about, like just the, the, what the, the film points out a bit of his history. That he's he he alone opened that um, book depository window, fired off three rounds in seven seconds from that Carcano, uh, uh, crappy Italian rifle, uh, and managed to do all that damage. You know, uh, so there's, I, I think I think most people accept that there's a bigger picture here. I think it's one of the unwritten rules. And if you didn't really get it, the reason the phrase conspiracy theory is being used, and we've used it so f- often already. It's because it was a CIA construction to smear people who were talking about the Kennedy case mm. and trying to cast aspersions on the Warren Commission. So that might tell people a thing or two, you know what I mean, as to as to um, whether or not Garrison was poking around the truth. Let's put it that way. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the funny thing is that the term conspiracy theory has such a wide ranging usage. Like when people hear the term conspiracy theory now, they think about you know, Alex Jones and the absolute drivel that he comes out with. But when you break it down, it's a theory about a conspiracy. And the conspiracy here was the plot to assassinate Kennedy. And there are real things, real indicators that this conspiracy was in place in the same way there are conspiracy theories around the assassination of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and others. And Bobby. Yeah. Exactly. All of those were theoretically, according to the reports and the, and the commissions afterwards, lone wolf nutters. Sorry, that's just bullshit. So, it's nonsense. It so, is, so, it's a nonsense. So that's that's what gives the film, I think, it, the hook. And so you start, you get into the story, and he presents a very, very realistic story. The highlight for me is where he's sitting on the bench with X, and X, I think, uh, is a character played by Donald Sutherland, who I think is supposed to represent a fellow called uh, Colonel L. Fletcher Prouty. And Prouty was a guy who basically spilled the beans on an awful lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes in American intelligence. And as a result, of course, he smeared for that because you can't do that. You just don't do that or you end up taking a, a, a short walk off a long cliff. Um, and I think there was a series of letters between Garrison and this guy Prouty, who was like, to all intents and purposes, spilling the beans, a whistleblower, or whatever you want to call it. A very high level of clearance kind of a guy. And of course, like I said, the minute you type him into Google now, you'll get uh, uh, debunkers talking about how he's a lunatic. That's just how these things work. Um, and there was a series of, 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 of over and backs where Garrison was gathering, gleaning information. And that scene is so powerful because in one in one short sort of uh, uh, sequence, you get a whole 
exposure to some of the absolute fuckery that the Yanks were involved in, in terms of uh, regime change and government overthrow and uh, going into places and putting in, um, you know, puppets and 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 and, and uh, uh, USA friendly uh, uh, leaders and mm. over, overturning elected officials. Like, Look at Mossadegh. Look at most of the most of the countries in 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 South and Central America. At some stage, have felt the uh, intrusion of the, the, our pals in the CIA and Alan Dulles and the boys. So it's it's it, it, what it is was it, it was a remarkable gateway for me into reading about stuff that's just overtly provable. Whether you agree with where Big Oliver takes it uh, is a whole different thing. But as a movie, Dave. It's very engaging for a thing that's three hours long. I mean, it just keeps you absolutely hooked because it's a great story. It's a lovely, uh, not lovely, but it's a very engaging story, even if you don't agree with it, I think. Well, that's the thing. And you mentioned the length of the film, and that was kind of controversial at the time because Hollywood was trying to move away from those three-hour yeah, yeah. extravaganzas like you think back to, say, the Godfather films and, and the, how long they were. And, and they weren't shockingly long at the time. The 70s saw quite a lot of those three, three and a half hour films. Into the 80s, we saw that as well. And then the breaking point seemed to come with Once Upon a Time in America, where Sergio Leone gives his final cut and is then horrified to find out that they've hacked well over an hour off what he put forward because audience retention is not what it was because the eighties are a very different time to the seventies and stone takes a massive gamble and not just him, but obviously the, the production companies as well. They take a massive gamble by backing him with this three hour and an eight minute film, which he is a director's cut. That's almost four hours. But it's a massive shout by them because you're coming off, like you said, a decade of Simpson and Bruckheimer, yeah. uh, high octane uh, music montage video MTV crossover, fucking Arnie strapping on umpteen uh, uh, cannons onto him, and that's the era of the action movie that you've just come out of. It's we're, you're still in it, but it, it's it, it's a real. It's a real swaggering auteur move, I think, by Stone to put a film out like this. And the point is, it's not just a sequence of like pretty pictures that you feel you should say is very good afterwards and stroke your chin. It's actually a fucking rollicking story yeah. uh, that he puts forward. And it's man, it's that, really well paced as well. Like there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no overly dramatic cin- cin- cinematography just for the sake of it. Like there's a purpose to every single minute of of what he put forward and look at the look at the performances you mentioned some of the people like you get pesci doing david ferry and it's pure oh, no one else can do that role except david pesci or uh, joe pesci mm. it, he's fantastic with the stupid wig and freaking out in the hotel room uh, uh thingy um oh my god uh the guy who plays clay shaw uh t- Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee is unbelievable in that role with this real sort of uh, southern, uh, sort of vaguely effeminate swagger that he's got. Everybody, it's a, they're all real tour de force performances. Like yeah. everybody's on their absolute A game for Oliver in this, I think. And you talked about 
we ha- we have to focus on Big Kev because like you were reading some of us, you were reading some of us his role of honor there. I mean, he's the biggest star in Hollywood at that at that time. Oh yeah. You know? It's well it's it's him or or or, or Big Mel Gibbo. Between or, or Michael two, Douglas was probably in, in that kind of mix as well, having done Wall Street and a few others then. Yeah, at that yeah. time but, but, too. But the, the two boys were kind of the action movie proper. We can yeah. do anything. Now, obviously, I think it was it two or three le- years later when Big Kev does Waterworld, World. and then he does The Postman as well. Post like they're two well. big fucking self-indulgent. Yeah. He thinks and, he's Oliver Stone. He's not Oliver Stone. And you know they came I'm off the back of remember they came off the back of Wyatt Earp as well, which was a massive budget failure in its own right. Large I couldn't because, remember whether that had done well or not. No, see what happened. So I was, I, I, I really like the film Wider. I think it's a really good yeah, film, but good, I, yeah. I love the story as well. Yeah. So it, it had a budget of sixty three million dollars at the time, which was huge money, and made less than fifty six million back at the box office. And one of the big reasons is because in in pre production for that movie, there was a split, and Costner and one group went to do Wider, and another group went and did Tombstone starring Kurt Russell and Tombstone was a massive hit in yeah. 93. Yeah. So when Wyatt Earp came out telling a similar enough story about the same character the year later, people were just kind of like, well, are you going to tell us anything different? Is this going to be as good as that? Probably not. And they stayed home. Yeah. Yeah. And actually Tombstone was a little bit more flamboyant. You had, I think I remember Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer really. Yeah. Was pretty cool in that you know and i it, 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 it's it's there's there's a tail off there that's quite remarkable like i think costner probably didn't know what to do with himself then you know going from being the absolute man like after this after jfk as you said he does the bodyguard there's a movie called a perfect world which Brilliant. is quite a good, a good wee movie as well um you mentioned wyatt earp then you get Waterworld. that's absolutely sneered at and it's a big money loser i think and he does it is it is tin cup in the middle there and tin then he cups goes in the middle yeah but it, it's a fun film yeah yeah it's yeah. actually one I, I would actually recommend to people if you haven't seen tin cup it is actually a good film but 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 then there's then there's um uh the postman again that's another one that's a big massive uh written directed music by everything kevin costner he's like I am the creative man here. And again, it's not really a success. And it takes until 2000 for him to come back as Kenny O'Donnell in 13 days, which, of course, is has a JFK tie in because it's all about the missile crisis and all that. And I thought he was great in that. And that's a great film. Yeah, that is a fantastic film. And like you said, it's it, it kind of drew a lot of the same audience as JFK did. But I mean, I suppose because of the run he'd gone on from the untouchables through to the bodyguard and then a perfect world, although it wasn't like a, a big, a big kind of tagline film. It was just a, it's just a really good film, but the amount of blockbusters he'd had one after another, there was only so far he could go before he was going to have a stinker. Like once you get to the mountaintop, there's only really two things you can do. You stay at it or you fall off it. And it's very hard to stay at it because, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do when you're there. That's true. But like some people get let down by by 
the, their film choices or the director or whatever. But with Kev, you get the feeling it was a big bang of hubris of it. Like yeah. those two ones in particular, like watch me. I am the creator and uh, people didn't go for it, really. You know, I mean, Waterworld is Waterworld's like comical in a bad way. And it's supposed to be this, you know, post-apocalyptic, serious, sprawling sci-fi thing. And the Postman, I'll honestly, I'll, I'll admit, I, I, I never finished it. Do you know what no. I mean? So yeah, it's, it's not a good film. It's it's like and, and I think he has a thing as well that happens happens to to Gibson too. At a certain point, the arse just falls out of any chance he'll ever have of being a leading man again. Mm. Like with Gibson, it's like his his he just his face changed. Uh, and Costner as well. He got I don't know did he chunk out a bit or whatever. But he was never going to be the main the main man anymore. Uh, he was never going to be the romantic lead, if you know what I mean. And it was all then about character parts. And I actually like what he does now. I think he's had some fantastic character roles since. He was in, he's in a movie there with um, an, a fella who's actually vaguely connected to the JFK assassination. And that's uh, um, Anne Oliver Stone, because he starred in Natu- Natural Born Killers. That's Woody Harrelson, because Harrelson's alpha is connected to the yeah. JFK assassination, depending on your chosen conspiracy theory. But he's in a movie uh, with Harrelson called The Highwaymen. It came out recently it's enough. Like, it's and that's a good show, right? Yeah, I like we, him. As, I like him as an old grumpy lad. I think see, he's that's good. it. That's he. He's sort of leaning into it. And I don't know if you've watched Yellowstone. I haven't seen oh, that. Trev, no, th- no. This is the best show for me. It's the best show going at the moment. But he's the I'll lead in it, and he's fully leaning into just being. A horrible, grumpy old bastard, like, yes, and it, it's brilliant, and he's ruthless in it. And it, I watched uh, The Highwaymen one day just on a whim because it popped up, and I thought, well, I like Kevin Costner, so I'll throw this on. And I, I thought it was brilliant. And the same thing with Yellowstone, like, I, I just think he's he's found his groove now. I think it took him a long time to get back to that point because there's just there's so many movies from the the nineties that that he did or that he was part of like I love Dance with Wolves I, I know some people think it's a bit cheesy or whatever but I think it's brilliant yeah and I think but unfortunately for him I think it gave him ideas above his station I think Braveheart is Gibson's Dance with Wolves where he's also the director and the producer and the creative genius and obviously sweeps the board wins everything and thinks I can do all of this myself. I don't need anybody. Anything I touch now is going to be gold. And obviously he falls down with Waterworld and for Gibson, it was some bad choice with films and obviously some bad choices with, with things that he said. Um, just to give an example to people of how extraordinarily um, expensive Waterworld was when it was made in in 1995, the budget was 175 million. Braveheart, which is kind of widely recognized the best movie of that year uh, and is equally an epic and mental, had a budget of 70 million. Apollo yeah. 13, which was another huge film that year, had a budget of 52 million. Mm. It, it was just so extraordinarily expensive, Waterworld, that even though it did fairly well at the bo- at the box office, 264 million. It was still seen as a massive failure because they were hoping for four or five hundred million in revenue from this incredibly epic thing that they'd made. Um, 
And but, and there was form there because it was big Kev. He was doing all the roles, as you mm. said. Dances with Wolves was, was was it turned out to be an outlier. That's the problem. Now, whereas with Gibbo, it wasn't really. Like to be fair to him, like Apocalypto is incredible. Yeah. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge is a very good directorial thing. Whether you like We Were Soldiers or not as a concept, he's very good at direction. You know. Yes. Um, now clearly he he went from being like my acting hero, a, a source of inspiration, very much like watching certain scenes like that potential, like considering suicide scene in Lethal Weapon. I mean, geez, that that just blew my head off when I saw it first. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of thing I want to do. Um, now, obviously, then you had to wince for a long time and you, you couldn't really mention his name out loud. You had to kind of whisper him because it turns out he's not the greatest lad in the world, uh, to say the least. But um, separating art from artist, I mean, he just stays consistently brilliant at the at the directing thing. It's really what, interesting to watch him trying to crawl his way back in now. He's been doing every shit film you can imagine. Mel Gibson. Yeah. He's had cameos in every little shit film going to get his face back out there. And now he's back on the verge of making, I think, uh, and I kid you not, uh, The Passion of the Christ 2. Yeah. Passion, Passion Harder, I think. Is this the <laughs> I, I hope that's the tag. I hope that's the tagline. But uh, that's the thing. Like, Gibson, he did some really some really good films over that kind of spell where he was almost being blackballed. And you mentioned Hacksaw Ridge, like he's obviously not, not in the film. He is the director of the film, but it is, it's a, I think it's an excellent film. And I thought the professor and the Mad Men was very, very good. Yes. Uh, with him I, and I Sean Penn. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. It, it sort of got overlooked because, oh God, it's Mel Gibson. We can't say out loud that we enjoyed this. That's um, it. That's it. Whereas Sean, Sean, Sean Penn with his um, uh, Zelensky best friendship is probably balancing out the uh, the, 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 the karma there for people. <laughs> the more right on people that oh, I can watch it because, you know. Because <laughs> Sean's a good fella. Is Sean's he though? <laughs> he's, pal, he's pals with big Vlad, you know. <laughs> I don't, it is, it is like there's, there's just, there are parallels obviously between the two, but you, you are right. Like Gibson as an actor, it, it's very rare you watch a Mel Gibson film and aren't over, like massively impressed by what he puts forward in his performance. Yeah. There are other actors of their era who are still tipping around doing all manner of crap and clearly phoning it in for the paycheck. Now, I, by that, I don't mean Bruce Willis. I did think Willis was doing that until I read about his his illness. Yeah, same. And, same. and now I fully understand it. And yeah, 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 yeah. You you can understand why he's doing it and, and why he's never a great actor, to be fair, but why it's 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 fallen off so bad. But yeah, you know, with with Costner, he's had this great recent renaissance, which is one of the reasons I wanted to to talk about him in the nineties and and others in the nineties. And the last thing I wanted to touch on with JFK before we talk about the 90s and more more of a broad spectrum, is there's also, there's a couple of real themes to this film, which obviously Stone himself has been massively critical of the CIA and massively critical of America's continual involvement in other countries' business. You, you highlighted that a while back when you mentioned about them installing their chosen person in countries and then getting bitten in the arse by said person. But 
he contrasts that really well because there is a large feeling of that within the United States. And he contrasts that really well with those who just aren't accepting of any criticism. And like you, you mentioned with, with L. Fletcher Prudy, him coming out and speaking the way he did and being so critical, he was deemed a traitor. People wanted him bought up on trial on on, on uh, charges of treason. They wanted him hung because there are also a large portion of Americans who believe that they should have sexual intercourse with flags and with national anthems and things like that <laughs> and won't accept any criticism of their country, especially internal criticism of the country. Yeah, you see, and, and the massive irony here is, uh, the massive, massive irony is that Stone's movie got absolutely lambasted in a way which was so fucking hinky and so suspicious across all the mainstream media. And here we go with the real point of irony is that one of the things that was outed uh, in 1973, I think in the Church Commission, where there was an investigation into the CIA, and it's there for everybody to go and read the transcripts of, was that there was a thing called Operation Mockingbird, in which the CIA planted people in all levels of media right to the very top, right to the very top in CBS and ABC and across all the papers, the Washington Post and New York Times, and they had a really handy way of doing things as well, where, say, a, 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 an American newspaper couldn't be seen to print a certain thing or come up with a certain theory. They had a runner or a plant, uh, say, in the Hindu Times. They would run the story. And then the New York Times could quote the Hindu Times and all we go. There it is yeah. out in the public. This is common knowledge now, except it's not. It's still not. People still don't know that this is a real thing. The Church Commission is there. It's the church committee rather is there and people still don't know that that's there, that there's a real thing, the Operation Mockingbird. People don't know that there are still people. Clearly, I mean, just look at the last couple of years and you can see the people who are doing the talking head stuff. It's remarkable. It's remarkable to watch. You, you If you turn on any of the um, uh, US networks at the moment now, it's nearly all ex-spooks doing the chit chat on the on the yeah. on, on, on the uh, as, as talking heads, all people who used to have security clearance. I mean, can you trust that? I don't think so. They say once a CIA man, always a CIA man. And like, I suppose the irony of it is, there it is getting hammered by the press, the mainstream press, who were extremely, were exposed as having been completely uh, 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 penetrated by the CIA. So it just comes around in the full circle. So it's one of those things. What do you what do you want to believe? Gather as much actual facts as you can. But I I don't think enough people know about things like the Church Committee, and they don't know about Mockingbird. They think it's just one of those things that people say, as opposed to a real thing that Oliver Stone's movie came up against immediately when it came out. Now you may not agree with the theory. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not selling the theory um but am i buying uh, uh oswald as 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 a lone nut uh gunman that's bullshit yeah that's definitely just not definitely not not having it at all the other kind of less touched on but i think equally important theme that kind of emerges in this film is also the um the sort of homophobia because there's obviously the scene where, where Liz accuses Garrison of going after Shaw only because of his homosexuality. There's the talk earlier in the film about the um, 
male prostitution and things like that. Mm. And remember, at this point in America, they're just kind of getting through the HIV epidemic that had surged in the 80s. And there is still this prevalent belief that, you know, homosexuality is the work of the devil and whatever else. And obviously, two years after this movie, we get one of another one of the great movies in in Philadelphia, yeah. uh, which touches on these things on a much bigger scale. But I did think it was this is one of the, the things I think Stone does really well as he weaves many different underlying themes into his stories and is able to make his points without without being overly focused on, you know, this is just what this movie is about. He's able to tell a story while also showing a culture that exists in America of that time. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Bacon's a very sympathetic character. And I think he plays a kind of a, uh, a, a male prostitute um, on the gay scene. And he's, he's just, he just t- tells, ironically tells it straight, right? He just, he just tells the truth. This is, this is what I saw. If you want to take my word for it. And, he gets destroyed on the stand immediately. Oh, we expect to take your word for it. And the first thing that the the um, prosecutor says, oh, we expect to take your word for a, a known homosexual. And that's where they go immediately, like because that would be a character flaw, clearly, in that time. But yeah, it, it was interesting, the whole discussion about it and around it and the idea of some sort of murky um, uh, underworld where that where that's, you know, part of it and therefore part of the reason why it's murky is, is an interesting thing. And is there truth to the actual uh, exposure of, of, of what was going on behind the scenes with an awful lot of those guys at top level? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that is true. But as you say, the bigger question about, you know, how people how people emerge thinking about a certain idea is very interesting. I mean, I'll openly admit to you, man, and I think this might be around the same era or a couple of years later, but do you remember when In the Name of the Father came out? Yes. Now, I'm going to say something here now that probably will not make me sound like it come out in a a great light, but I came out of that movie. I watched it in the Savoy on O'Connell Street on the main street of Dublin, and I came staggering out into the evening light, and I was like looking around me thinking, fucking Brits, man. Yeah. Yeah. I was I, I was feeling 800 years of oppression in my bones, man. That's and so so what I'm saying is movies have a powerful powerful way of of impacting how you feel about things. You know, you have to be really careful in the moment after a film, you know. Well, that's the thing, and and I think we should at at a later date we should do another one of these on in the name of the father and some other son and other prevalent movies. Yeah, yeah. About what one. happened in Ireland throughout the Troubles. Um, yeah. Because there, there was a run of them at that point, And so much of what happened has still never been rectified and has still never been correctly apologized for or, or put to right. But um, In the Name of the Father is, is, is an incredible movie. And I know it's it, it has some criticism because it, you know, it, 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 it dramatizes certain things. But that's the 
because it's a movie and not a documentary yeah, you see, in this the is same the way that JFK yeah. is a yes. movie and not a documentary. And, and this is where this is where people need to maybe take a little bit of a step down and before they get out their calculator and their abacus uh, and, and stop pointing out all the historical inaccuracies. Like uh, now the only problem is that Big Ali sort of doubled down on all his theories as he went forward and i think he put out a documentary recently where he just basically doubled down again about the absolute veracity of everything in the film so that's a problem uh, because an awful lot of people are going to be able to poke holes in that but yeah, i think the point you're making is very well received like you, there's a difference between a film and a documentary and if you're yeah. going to take your facts from a, a movie from hollywood uh you might want to have a word with yourself and read a book first yeah very much so so after this Stone goes on. He does Heaven and Earth, which I think is a pretty good film. Um, it's about Vietnam. It's his third Vietnam film after Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July. Stars Tommy Lee Jones and Hangouts Nyor, who's most famous for his role as Death Pran in uh, The Killing Fields. And yes, as a quick aside, if you can ever get your hands on Hangouts Nyor's autobiography, his life story is far more harrowing than Death Pran's story, which was made into the film The Killing Fields. What he went through was, was from an individual purpose, was worse than what Pran went through. And he moves to America, becomes an actor because they're looking for a Vietnamese, per, or a Cambodian to play this role. And he, he's phenomenal in it. He makes this other movie and then having survived the killing fields, having moved to America, having become an Oscar winning actor, he is then murdered outside his own home for his watch in LA in 1996, which is just incredible. But if you can get, if you can get your hands on his book, um, I would highly recommend that it is. It's amazing. It's, it's called surviving the killing fields. Well, I'll make a point of that. Sounds great. It, yeah, it's it's an incredible tale and it will open your eyes. Like I was saying the other day, because it was the 72nd anniversary of um, Auschwitz being liberated. And I was saying, I've, I've been to Auschwitz and the only time I've ever felt like my skin kind of crawl and the hairs in the back of my neck stand up when no one's around me and I'm by myself in a place was when I visited the killing fields. And it, it's just, incredible to think the the cruelty that we've inflicted on each other you know in our reign on this planet um but from from there stone goes on he does natural born killers which is obviously both a great film and a cult classic and then he does nixon yeah which might be his most underrated film it's outrageously good i fully agree i think it's an amazing film but it was a box office bomb. Yeah. And I think a big part of that was the pushback from the JFK story because Definitely. of the, the anti-American feeling that was building against against Stone, how, how people didn't feel like he was a real patriot. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Nixon is, it's unbelievable. And I mean, again, you look at the cast that he pulls in for that film, Hopkins, Joan Allen, Annabeth Gish, Marley Shelton, James Woods, who's unfortunately become uh, persona non grata. Um, David Hyde Pierce, who at that time was really becoming a, a known quantity because of Frasier. 
Um, this it's another great cast and another great great film, but one that doesn't get the same type of adulation uh, as JFK and many other films of that era. Despite the fact that I think it stands up with pretty much anything from the nineties. You see. Big Oliver made the mistake of being an actual Vietnam vet who came back and told a story about Vietnam that didn't really suit the uh, establishment in Platoon. And then, like you say, there's anti-government. And actually, he's written uh, in conjunction with another guy who I can't think off the top. I'm trying to look up my shelf here, but it's dark. He's written The Untold History of the United States of America, uh, Oliver Stone. And it's um, it's it's an alternative v- version of history. And again, people will take issue with some of it. But it was through, through that book, I think, when it came out that I started going and reading about someone like Smedley Butler, who, if you haven't looked him up, uh, he's famous for his quote, war is a racket. Um, go and have a look at, look, read about Smedley Butler. Um, so, so, so he's clearly anti-establishment and that's not going to leave you. I think you're dead right. I think there's fallout here and it's not until he starts poking around with, U-turn and then the sort of crowd-pleasing any given Sunday uh, that he's back on form and then he kind of makes a balls of it with Alexander because people didn't like it. He's got big Collie Farrell and a nappy on the back of a horse. <laughs> everything, everything should be fine, right? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> all the all, all the all the uh, ancient uh, uh, Greeks have Irish accents. It's grand. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like at at some stage they got to realize that people used to. It didn't matter where you were from. You put on a sort of received rada accent if you were any foreign lad, and you just did that. But no, we've got everyone's got Irish accents. It's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot to recommend that movie. It's a ridiculously sprawling subject. How are you going to do a movie about Alexander the Great? Like, I mean, like how can you contain that in a couple hours? Um, but it, it's just interesting because he's kind of done then. If you look at his career after that, he's trailed mm. off to know. Like, he made some yoke called Savages. I watched it in 2012. In 2012. I mean, Jesus. Uh, oh, he did that He did that George Bush movie, didn't he? W. W, yeah. Uh, you know, that was, that's, that was okay. But again, he's poking he's poking at the establishment bear there, you know? He just, he won't learn and, his lesson. And he's doing it while Bush is still in office. Yeah, I know. And then he makes Snowden in 2016. It's like the lad's looking to get whacked. You know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's, I, it's like he literally just wants to upset as many people as possible. And then he puts out in 2017 the Putin interviews. Oh so man. like, you're like, are you are you actually looking to get yourself assassinated? Is that what the whole game plan has been? Because people are getting upset with you now. Well, if I was um, Oliver, I would avoid light aircraft and <laughs> definitely not have any toasters near my bathtub. And open plazas. And, and don't take any medication that your doctor doesn't directly hand you. <laughs> wouldn't you think, actually, uh, when he went, to, he was there doing that, like, revisiting of it. Like, wouldn't you think it must have crossed his mind as he's walking across Dealey Plaza that some fuck would think it was great crack to shoot him there as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a shame as well because I suppose he's martyred himself for his own beliefs. And there's there's some reasons to be, you know, to admire that. But at the same time, you're like, really? Like, this is, 
these are the hills that you decided to die on when you could have made far more of a difference by exploring these things in film and just saying, oh, well, it's it's fiction. It's a, it's a film. It's entertainment. Rather than, you know, the Putin interviews uh, and, and, and such. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's it's a fact. It's a, it, like the the the, the points and the messages would have been far better received if he had continued to make movies like JFK. It's exactly. just, that's just a fact because people can go and do what what they want with the ideas. He can always hide behind the fact that hey, it's a film and shrug and walk away, Homer style, back into the hedge. Uh, but 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 the ideas are out there, and and that's probably the most effective way of doing that kind of thing. Exactly, and and just don't ever make anything like Alexander again. We don't, we don't need to see Colin Farrell. It, from like, I think Colin Farrell has only really recovered from that in the last couple of years. Yeah. At that point, he was one of the the hottest young actors going. He was on a real upward trajectory. Yeah, and after that, it was a bunch of flops in Bruges, which is is a is great crack. A bunch of films nobody wanted to see, and it's only really now with with the Banshees of Inisherin um, that he's sort of recovered. Yeah, um, have I, you I, seen the Banshees yet? I still haven't because I wanted to see it in the cinema and I missed it in the cinema, and now I've I'm in a situation where. I, I, I'm going to have to pay for some sort of subscription service to see it. Uh, so mm. I'm going to probably wait till till I can see it some way. Uh, th- th- an awful lot of things pass me by that way. If I don't go out to see them in the cinema, uh, I'm not going to go and like hook up. I and unfortunately I don't have the the ways and means that certain people have of seeing things uh, because of my ridiculously shite internet connection out here in 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 in, in the, the middle of a field. So. Unfortunately, I'll have to wait until some um, idiot comes on to Netflix or some other place. Actually, where is it? Where where can it Disney be? Plus are getting it? I don't oh, know okay. if it's on Disney yet, Plus, but they are due yeah. to get it. Um, I just think I, I haven't seen it yet either, and it was the same. I wanted to see it in the cinema, and for one reason, and I just didn't get round to it. Um, Liverpool depressing me by being shit was was probably one of them. But I I, I am just it's. You know how we are in this country, Trev. We we don't produce many, so when we produce good ones, we tend to cling to them, and that that is mu- 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 movies, music, actors, athletes, whatever. If if one of our own does well, we become incredibly proud behind them. And I think the fact that Farrell is up for best actor, both Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan have been nominated for best supporting actor. The brilliant Kerry Condon is up for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. I think these I are think things we need to celebrate as a country. 100%, 100%. Maybe what we'll do is make it our business to go and see it and we'll do a show about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. These about it. And, and definitely the career of Colin Farrell thus far would be a fantastic show, man. Yeah. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> Genuinely. Like, I mean, it would. It would be brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm very fond of the lad. I, I, like, I've, always, I've always liked him as an actor. Uh, I, and there's like some fantastic stories uh, behind the scenes, never mind even the films themselves. So, yeah, I think we, we, we've, we've, we've probably tracked out at least half a series here. <laughs> the, oh, absolutely. We, we, we'll do one on, on films about the troubles. We'll do one on Farrell and the banshees and we can we can have a, a touch on some of the other brilliant brilliant cast members in that film i mean it is it is a tremendous cast and when you hear martin mcdonough 
um, being linked with a project at this point now, having done in Bruges, and it's, it's, I think it's a great film. Seven Psychopaths, I could take or leave. Mm, but it's the not three, on the same level. No, but three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I, I watched that film with no expectation because I hadn't heard about it when I saw it, mm. and it, I, it was, I blew my mind how good it was. I thought it was, I thought it was incredible. Yeah, to be fair to the guy, yeah, he's got a real. I even going back to the plays years mm. ago. I mean, the, the, there's 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 a real feel there for the characters and and dark humor, the the awkward dark humor. Like Jesus Christ, in Bruges, is just full of those chats between um, Brenny Gleason and 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 and, and Big Colin there. That some of those chats are so beautifully awkward. Uh, you know, just I, I love that. I love that kind of. And you, you like me, even though you haven't seen the movie, you'll have seen that scene with Kyogen and Condon where he's trying to put the moves on her. Yeah. And like the lad is fantastic. And yes, he's great, but that's also written, you know? Yes. I'm sure there's yeah. improvi- improvisation there, but it's also written. So this guy knows what he's doing, this um, this director. So it would be very interesting to have a look at, 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 at them as well and that, that relationship too. Yeah, I think I think we should definitely uh, we should mark that down definitely as one that we uh, we'll do as well. And to be fair, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground today. We're about fifty minutes in, which I think is is more than a fair offering on on that's, our weekend off. That's respectable. Um. So yeah, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we go? Just, just a quick a quick word for um. Oliver Stone's The Doors, which came out in the same oh, year yes. as as JFK. And again, because I was that age and because only a year beforehand I had discovered the music of The Doors, uh, while I was like up up until I was about 16, I didn't realize there was anything other than the radio. And I was I listened to the radio religiously. I could every tune from the 80s I can probably sing back to you like i just had this like encyclopedic knowledge of it and i absorbed it all so when i actually came across good music that wasn't fucking atlantic 252 uh it was a revelation to me and the doors were one of those formative groups so that movie has a really special place in my heart and Val Kilmer does the kind of preening Morrison thing. I think he absolutely goes over the top with it, but he's very believable as a, a preening rock star with, uh, as we'd say around here, notions. And I do, I do think it's a very diverting movie and it gives some aspects of what is an incredible, incredible story about that band, their formation, uh, all the sort of woo-woo stuff around them, Jim and his uh, flirtations with the various bits and bobs. And even, even uh, the sort of uh, little bit of a, a, a mystery and cloud that surrounds uh, his death as well, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and his connections to, uh, well, his felt connections, at least to Native America. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 w- I would recommend that as a sort of a, an interesting diversion if anyone hasn't seen it. And even especially, actually, if you're not even specifically familiar with the band, I think you might find it a very interesting jump off point. But that'll be it for me, man. Yeah. And no, I think, like you say, I think we've we've taken a lot of the boxes here, considering we, we, there were a lot of tangents. So hopefully people aren't too confused, but uh, very enjoyable chat yeah and i fully agree i think the doors is is an excellent film it's 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 very over the top from from kilmer like you said but i mean that is that is the essence of val kilmer is to turn everything up to to 12 if possible there's also a a young emerging starlet in no she's 30 at the time but she's only really 
becoming a big star at that time in Meg Ryan. Yes, right. Harry Met Sally was about two years earlier, and that was kind of her real big break. She'd obviously been had smaller roles in other things before that, like Top Gun and such. But The Doors was a, was another big role for her, and and, and launched her into the nineties as well, where she goes on to make a, a lot of big hits like Sleeps Sleepless in Seattle. Courage Under Fire, City of Angels, you've got Mail, Proof of Life. And then, you know, her career kind of tapered away after that because of things in her personal life and stuff that are not our business to talk about. Uh, there's also a a young Kevin Dillon who would become more well-known to most people during Entourage. Um, yeah. He's he's I think, excellent in it as John Sensmore. He he'd, he'd been in Platoon years back before yeah. that. And 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 Kyle McLaughlin's uh, uh, Ray Manzarek in it as well. Yes, uh, which is which is quite a revelation because um, people have a certain expectation of Kyle McLaughlin, and then you see him as this long-haired, stoned hippie, and it's 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 a bit of a trip, quite literally. And that's, but I think that's one of the things that Stone is brilliant at is seeing beyond the kind of stereotype. And the typecasting and seeing what he can drag out of of an of an actor with a character of his not creation, obviously, because he's playing a real person, but the way he writes the character. I think it's the same thing in JFK with some of the casting decisions. They wouldn't be the person you'd automatically think for that role, but they make the role work because it plays to strengths you might not necessarily know that the, that actor had. And yeah, I think Kyle McLaughlin is is absolutely a, an example of that. I mean, he was kind of Twin Peaks at the time, and that's what people were were aware of him from more than anything. And mm. yet he obviously he'd been in, in June as well, but he's 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 tremendous in this film. Um so yeah, I mean I think I think The Doors is absolutely another one. There's there's so many great movies from this era from say 90 to 95 that we could we could probably fill 6 or 7 hours of of waffle chatting about how many great movies there were, some of the great actors and not just the leading men and and women, the you know these guys that made careers as kind of secondary character actors and there's there's a lot of great ones in JFK as well. So um, I do think it's a, a film that if you haven't watched, obviously myself and Trevor have a slightly older vintage than than some that will hear this, but it is a great film. Now, it is long. And if you've got a shorter attention span, just break it up. Watch an hour. Yeah, you can do night, that. Yeah, watch yeah. an hour the next and an hour the third. Night. I, I've, I've done it with longer films in recent years. I did it with The Irishman because I... I didn't feel like I could fully sit down and give my focus to a film that long. But given the cast, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, given who was behind it, Martin Scorsese, I thought I have to watch this and I have to focus on it because it's going to be good. And it is good. It's just it's exceptionally long. This is a really long film. It's great. But if you're not going to be able to focus on the full three hours, just break it into an hour a night. And I think you will get full enjoyment out of it. Look, think of it like a miniseries. Jesus, there's another whole show, The Irishman, and how uh, sometimes special effects are not your friend. Because (laughs) even though you have a young face, you're moving like an 80-year-old Robert De Niro as you're kicking the shit out of that lad in the curb. Uh, 
<laughs> it's true. It's very so. So you've got this thing that'll make the faces look longer, uh, look younger. But you're yeah. still lumbering around like a pensioner, but, like. Yeah, but that's the thing. They're still really old men. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's 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 great fun though. It is great fun, and another another brilliant movie from this era is obviously Heat, which is where oh. De Niro and Pacino are are at their real kind of apex. Oh, and that scene, both of them. Oh, that scene where they sit across from each other, yeah. that line, you do what you do and I do what I do. And it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. So listen, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Trev for the time on a Saturday evening. And uh, we will be back in a week or so with the next episode. If you've got any suggestions, do let us know. But uh, we we will definitely we will dig into the Banshees of Inishir and, and the greater Colin Farrell uh, filmography, as well as the other actors that are in that film. Um, and we will do something on the films of the times of the troubles, which I'm going to say now might be one for people, for British people with no offence meant. It might be one just to avoid because we might get a little bit patriotic. <laughs> It might get called some names at some point, but we won't mean it. It's just going to come out because that's what happens when films like that are uh, power are of cinema, up. Dave, the power of cinema. Exactly. Right. See you next time. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.